1: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: Tethered Nation, you've often heard me talk about Tethered and their saddle setups and how much I love them and that I've given them credit for helping me expedite my learning curve or becoming a more mobile and more aggressive hunter, especially whenever it comes to doing out-of-state hunts. Well, their previous saddle setup, was, there's nothing wrong with it. I've used it for two years, but they've decided to up their game, if you've not heard, and have released the Phantom Saddle. And the thing that they've updated this is, is sizing. Oftentimes, people are asking what size they need to buy based on their waist size. Well, they've kind of eliminated that and created a one-size-fits-most uh, saddle size, which is a goes from a 28-inch waist to a 40-inch uh, waist. They developed comfort channels. One of the biggest things people would talk about is just like overall comfort when they get into the saddle. The saddle is comfortable to begin with, but how could they increase that even more? So what they did is they created comfort channels on the uh, loop in which the bridge kind of connects into. And your bridge position will have a lot to do with uh, how comfortable your sit might be because it's going to determine where the pressure of your saddle is being placed on your body. So if you need a little bit more back pressure you move it to the higher comfort channel. If you need a little bit more pressure or support underneath your rear end, you move it to a lower comfort channel. The other thing, one of the biggest things I think, you know, overall is, you know, that has to do with comfort is how high you're setting your tether. And a lot of times when you're getting into a tree, depending on the size of the tree, where the branches are, things of that nature, you can't always get your tether height exactly where you want it to be. For me, I like to set mine right about neck height. But if I have a branch that's in the way and I'm hunting public ground and I can't cut it, I might need to set it higher or lower. And that's going to impact the length of my bridge uh, away from me, essentially, or the or the distance from me to my tether, and the only way I can adjust that is by having an adjustable bridge. And Tether has created the Utila Bridge, which allows you to make that adjustment on the fly, super easy to kind of adjust that length to the optimum position for you to have the most comfort. The other thing that I'm really stoked about that is probably a little bit underlooked is the lineman loops. Now, the lineman loops on the Mantis are fine. But they're not as rigid as the ones on the Phantom Saddle are. And the reason why they're a little bit more rigid and bigger on the Phantom Saddle is that it's a lot easier to find them whenever you're trying to you know, ascend or descend in the dark. So for all these reasons, if you've not checked out Tethered, I would go to TetheredNation.com, check out their saddle gear, and specifically take a look at the Phantom Saddle. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee. And I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skullbrew Coffee as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullbrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 170. Today, I'm joined by Big Buck Killer, Andy May. So stay tuned. All right, all right, what is going on out there, people? Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I think that uh, that opening phrase now probably has a little bit more gravity to it uh, than it has over the past several years of uh, doing this podcast. First and foremost, before I get started, um, I just want to say I hope everyone out there is doing well. I hope that you are, um, or you and your family are healthy and uh, and and weathering the uh, the storm that we're in at the moment as best, uh, as best as y'all can. It's, a uh, it's, it's weird times, strange times for, um, for sure. I don't know that, you know, at least in my lifetime, I don't remember anything quite like this. Um, I think the closest we could probably get to, uh, would probably be the September 11th, um, uh, s- situation that we, that we all went through, you know, over, <clears throat> you know, nearly 20 years ago, uh, at, at, at this point, um, You know, so there's not a, I don't think there's a playbook for this for, you know, not just for the people who are trying to help manage what's going on, but I don't think there's a playbook just personally either. Uh, For those of us that are, that are, you know, either on lockdown, um, you know, I don't know that there's any place in the U.S. quite yet that's completely on 100% lockdown, if memory serves. Um, It could be suggested lockdown, I guess you could say. Um, You know, my family and I have been kind of in somewhat self-quarantine um, for the better part of or over a week, um, we had a little bit of a. We started a little bit early actually because we had a, a little bit of a, um, a possibility that there was someone who was exposed at my daughter's school. I guess it was two weeks ago before things got really um, kind of hairy, and so we were we were on under quarantine until they got the testing done of, of those folks. Everything was cool, um, so then we were we were good to go, but then shortly thereafter everything kind of took off. Um, You know, and then my work uh, decided that we should all work from home. And I'm fortunate that I have a, you know, a gig where, you know, we're still operating, Um, you know, we can work remotely, you know, our jobs don't require us to be in the office. And so we're all doing, uh, doing that, but definitely feel for those out there who are, um, you know, whose jobs require them to be in a retail spot or a restaurant or bar or, or any number of those places that have been, that have been shut down for the, uh, for the time being. Um, I know here in Pennsylvania, we're, they've closed all non-essential uh, businesses um, for the most part. So essentially you know, we have gas stations, grocery stores uh, for the p- most part. And I believe like the post office, which seems to still be um, running. I'm sure there are a few other, you know, type of things that I'm missing you know, as far as like truckers and, and stuff like that, or are still taking goods from place to place. Um, so, you know, big shout out to all those folks who are who are on the front lines kind of helping out with this stuff, no matter what side of the fence you fall on, whether it's, you know, whether you feel like this is overblown or whether you feel like this is something, you know, really uh, significant or bad, um, I think that we can all recognize there are plenty of folks out there who are uh, making sacrifices and just want to say, you know, thank you to those folks, um, those folks for that. As far as, you know, my household goes, you know, I don't know how long we'll be under, uh, you know, limited movement, if if you will. Um, you know, at this point, we're still able to go to the grocery store and do things like that. We're getting we're getting by. Uh, everyone here is um, is okay, healthy for the most part. I mean, we had some just normal, common cold stuff that we've been kind of all getting over, but nothing uh, related to the to the pandemic and 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 so forth. So, with that, before we jump into the podcast, I figured you know, there's a couple things I've been doing to try to. <clears throat> try to kind of keep myself occupied during the course of all, all this, you know, outside of, you know, my normal work because learning to work differently. Working remote has its challenges. Um, You know, it's, everyone's learning to communicate a little bit differently and stuff like that. So that notwithstanding, you know, there are things I try to do throughout the day, or I think as hunters that we can use this time of trying to find the silver lining here a little bit that we can use this time Um, that we're given to maybe do things that we've we've put off or that we maybe oftentimes don't have time to do. Uh, Oh, actually, first, let me back up for a second and say, like, the big news in our household, actually, is that the dog, for the first time ever, actually spent the night in the house unattended overnight last night and was a good dog. So we rescued him going on two years ago. I believe it was two years ago and he has really bad anxiety issues when we when we got him i think i've mentioned that on here a couple of different times um, and so he's, anytime you're not with him, like he'll, he'll have an accident in the house. He doesn't go any other time, except if you're not with him, if you put him in the basement, cause I tried to let him live in the basement, he would just go to the bathroom. So he has a place like a, a domicile that I've created for him in the garage. And that seems to have what has worked where he didn't go to the bathroom. He's comfortable, um, and good to go. But the idea was to always try to transition him into the house so he could, you know, live in the, in the house with his family. And so I was like, well, with all this extra time that we have, you know, I was like, you know, maybe we should try to take a trial run at letting him in the house, you know, when we sleep, um, you know, since we have time and, you know, we're getting up early, going to bed a little bit later and, and, and so forth. So he doesn't have as large of a window to get into trouble. And so we started doing that last night for the first time and, um, he did really good. So I'm hopeful that he'll end up being a house dweller now for the, uh, for the remainder of his days, uh, which would be super cool. Cause I just like having a, uh, a dog in a house, but. Going back to what I was saying, like what my kind of plan is during the course of the day, and what I try to do to use my time wisely is like the first thing I do is I try to be outside, you know, my house as much as possible. So not, you know, we're in that social distancing space or that, you know, that time frame. So I'm not gallivanting about. But what I am doing is, you know, spending time in my backyard, um, maybe taking the dog for for a walk. There's a little grassy area near our, near our house, near our little, um, neighborhood where I can go over there and throw the ball at the dog that I have a pretty far distance that I can chuck it and he can run. So I go over there and run him with my daughter. You know, she and I play a good bit of basketball outside. She's all into that right now. So we shoot some hoops in the driveway. Um, you know, as far as the hunting related stuff that I do, you know, I'm really using this time to do a little bit more e-scouting. Uh, I've mentioned here on the podcast that I'm probably going to have an additional trip. It, unfortunately, my Colorado trip is canceled now for, 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 for an elk hunt that got canceled, not due to the pandemic, but just some other unforeseen circumstances. Uh, so that's canceled. So I'm adding a, a whitetail trip. And I'm either going to go, I think it looks like I put a poll out on Instagram. It's either going to be Missouri or North Dakota. I'm leaning Missouri uh, personally. Uh, so we'll see where that lands. But uh, with that, you know, there's some more, you know, planning and and scouting and stuff that I need to do because I'm not going to get out there to be able to actually do a boots on the ground scout. So, you know, I'm doing a lot of e-scouting right now to kind of investigate those areas. I've kind of been looking at this one area in particular for like a little while actually if you haven't watched the youtube video i start mapping out how i plan out of state hunts in this particular area is one of the areas that I'm, i looked at in that uh, in that video there'll be a couple more videos hopefully to come if i can get some time to finish editing those but i do you know sit around i have plenty of time inside now um, and so i'm you know using that time to do uh you know a, a little bit of e scouting if you're in one of the states right now pa is kind of limited in how much i can move move about but If you're in a state that isn't in like some type of, you know, limited travel restrictions and so forth, and they've not closed down public lands, like I know Illinois has closed down public lands and stuff like that. But if you're not in one of those states, you know, socially distance yourself into the timber and go do some scouting, like do some e-scouting, even if it's in your home neck of the woods. And head out to the woods and 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 take a walk and see what you can find and put some boots on the ground and start making a plan for next year. Validate some things. Find where the sign was from last year. We all know that that's not the end all be all, but it's a really good starting point. That way, when you hit that October time frame, you can kind of go back to those areas and validate whether that sign was laid down in October, November, or if it was you know secondary rut when that sign was when that side was laid uh, laid down. So that's another good thing you can do. You don't have to be around people for that, as long as your state you're still allowed to travel to those places in your state. The other thing that I'm doing a lot of, you know, and I think across the board, I'll I'll speak for myself, but I think more broadly for hunters, you know, especially bow hunters, you know, this is a great time. If you have the room in your backyard, you know, to shoot your bow almost religiously. Um, You got plenty of time now to go out there and fling arrows. I, I mean, I personally fling arrows pretty frequently just in general, but just with the added stress of everyone being at home, working from home, changing my work environment, you know, all the other stuff that's going on around us, you know, everyone I'm sure, you know, has a a ratcheted up stress level a little bit. And I find that shooting a bow gives me, you know, therapy in 20 to 30 yard doses. Um, and so I usually try to go out at least once a day, if not twice a day and, and shoot some arrows. Um, just makes me, breaks my thinking cycle and it makes me concentrate on something else other than like my work um, or, you know, whatever the newest news cycle is, which I try not to pay much attention to if I can, but it seeps in, you know, no matter how hard you try. And so I try to use that as a way to kind of get out outside and, and get my mind off of things and try to have a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of normalcy. I think the other thing we can do, and I think this just helps with health in general, you know, is, um, if, especially if you're kind of quarantined for the next couple of weeks or two weeks or whatever the case is, um, you know, you don't need a bunch of equipment to try to get into shape. You know, it's like I do all my working out in my basement and this might be a great time to kind of take that step. Like if you've been saying, Hey, I want to work out and I want to get in better shape and stuff like that. This might be a great time to to do that. Especially if you have some type of Western hunt that you might be planning to do this fall, you know, and it's always that, especially if you're a flatlander like me, you know, coming from the, coming from the East coast, you know, you head out west and all of a sudden those mountains are a lot bigger than what you thought and are more challenging. And so, you know, doing the prep work in advance, it's always hard to kind of fit it in between work and family and all that stuff. It just seems like you don't always have as much time as you would like. And now you're afforded the opportunity of time. And so, you know, you can take that and and, and try to get into some better shape, if not for a trip, just to, just to feel better. Um, and, you know, the the nice uh, ancillary benefit is is that it increases you know your immune system response and those things which is a natural way of fighting off just normal normal bullshit we come into contact with every day but uh, those are just a couple things man that I wanted to share with you guys on how I've been kind of managing you know all the craziness that's going on uh, around me not saying that it's not foolproof uh, not saying that there aren't days where it's like you get frustrated or, or whatever the case might be just because everyone I'm sure would like to just get back to normal uh, everyday living. Um, but, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't think we, any of us really know when that might happen. And so I think, you know, putting things in place to to manage through for whatever length of time it might be is probably in our, our best interest to do so. And then I think also, you know, at the end of the day, once everything gets back to normal, you know, maybe you've created some really good habits for yourself that kind of extend beyond that, that are good just in general. So with that, I'll kind of move on and get to today's excuse me, his podcast. Um, have a really cool show today. Andy may is on the show. He's a guy that I've wanted to have on for a while. And if any of you, I'm sure most of you out there listening are probably familiar with Andy. Andy is one hell of a hunter. Um, you know, does a lot of traveling out of state, kills deer just about anywhere he goes. When I say just about anywhere he goes, it's a very low percentage chance that he doesn't when he goes somewhere. Um, he just has a really high kill kill percentage and he takes and and does really just high opportunity sits and does and does his homework um, I'm actually gonna break this into two episodes because um, the first part of the show we really kind of talk about saddle hunting how andy kind of got his start a little bit about scouting and how he qualifies parcels whenever he's thinking about taking it out of out of state hunt and then part two which i'll put out next week is really more into the nuts and bolts about how he executes a hunt once he's on a hunt i think the really unique thing about andy is that you know when he takes these out-of-state trips a lot of guys will go for a week two weeks whatever the case is you know i try to always take at least you know seven days like five business days plus the weekends um on any trip to give myself a good chance you know andy's one of these guys that's doing it on like four day trips five day trips where he has some knowledge maybe not a lot in some places in some days some trips even as little as three days um, and getting it done and so I have a lot of respect for how he does it um and the and particularly not just killing deer you know and, and these most of the time public land you know places especially when he's traveling out of state. But the caliber that he's killing as well is impressive. I would have respect if the person was killing, you know, younger deer that were just, you know, that were decent deer, but Andy's killing mature bucks on these trips. So, um, you know, he's, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when I, when I say he's probably one of the best hunters that I've ever had on the podcast and had the opportunity to talk with. So with that, we're going to go ahead and turn this over to, uh, Andy, get him on the line and talk all things whitetail with him. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. Alright folks, welcome back to another episode of The Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. Today I have a, a gentleman on that I've been wanting to have on for a, for a while. You've probably heard of him if you've been listening to podcasts or just following, uh, following dudes that have a knack for uh, killing good deer in just about any place they go. Especially last year because he had a killer season last year, no pun intended. But I have on uh, none other than Mr. Andy May. What's going on, man?
1: not much clint how you doing buddy
2: i'm doing good man i'm uh hanging out here in pennsylvania looking forward to some warmer weather it finally got warm i think we actually hit 70 this week man it's uh so i I broke out the shorts for the workout this week in in the early morning hours which is usually in the winter it's it's pants only because i work out in my basement it's not super warm but uh, i finally broke out the shorts for the 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 morning pre-work workout
1: yeah that's that's pretty warm it's uh in the 40s here still so pretty chilly
2: oh is it yeah i'm yeah. Not, not gonna lie man I, I would be doing better i got a little bit of a bruised ego because i was playing a uh, pig with my daughter when i got home from work this evening and uh she beat me she took the crown so yeah uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i got yeah I, <laughs> I got beat by my 11 year old daughter and pig she, man i'll tell you she's got this shot like she's got like a couple spots where she is just like she doesn't miss and if mm-hmm. i let her if i let her get the ball and take the point and she starts knocking those down. It's like, I'm in trouble because I just overthink the shot. And I just, I'll bounce it off the front of the rim or whatever. And she just like strokes them from that spot. And once she gets going, I'm done.
1: Yeah, that sounds familiar. My daughter uh, is big into basketball too. And she's, uh, I'm having a harder, hard time keeping up with her anymore. She's, uh, she's pretty good.
2: Yeah, nice. Yeah, I don't know. It was weird. My daughter, all of a sudden this, like she played when she was really little and then she didn't play for years. And all of a sudden this year, she was like, for Christmas, she's like, Dad, I think I want a basketball hoop. And I was like, All right, I like to shoot hoops. He's like, That's that's cool. Let's, let's do that. You know, we can we can do that together. And uh and now she's just like every day playing, bouncing the ball in the house, dribbling. My my uh wife's uh father was he's been a basketball coach for like thirty years or whatever. So he just loves it, you know, is able to show her how to shoot and how to dribble, how to handle. So she's just she's all about it right now,
1: which is That's cool. awesome. Yeah. yeah, I love it.
2: Yeah. So man, but but you know, not, you know, necessarily done with talking basketball per se, but definitely do want to <laughs> jump into the more the, 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 hunting stuff. Cause I think my pride probably need to take a detour here into something that I'm better at. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. we'll uh, jump into hunting, but man, I know a lot of folks out there have, have heard of you and if, have probably been following you and stuff. Cause you've been on, you know, a bunch of different podcasts from wired to hunt to East meets West and, you know, everything in between. Um, but for those out there that may not know who you are, if you wouldn't mind, just give a little bit of background about yourself, where you're from and what you do for a living.
1: Okay. Um, Yep. Andy May. I'm from uh, Southern Michigan. And uh, I uh, work at a school for children with special needs. I'm an uh, occupational therapist. And that's uh, very similar to like a physical therapist. We just kind of focus on uh, uh, slightly different skills and uh, different parts of the body. But um, been there since 2001. Um, So um, great job. Love it. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of on school hours. Um, so, uh, you know, vacation time, um, is kind of set in stone, you know, as far as like you know, spring break and Christmas break and that sort of thing. So right. it makes it tough, uh, to be a traveling hunter. Um, I still find ways to do it. It's just, uh, my trips are usually, abbreviated pretty short, uh, Mm -hmm. two, three, four day trips are kind of the average for me. Um, kind of long weekend type deals, but, um, I'm able to get out around home. Um, you know, uh, fairly frequently. Um, you know, I have, uh, I have a daughter, so obviously she's top priority, but, uh, I'm able to kind of be flexible with my time. And and when I get onto a good one, um, you know, around here around home i can usually uh i can usually get after it a little bit so right. not too bad um i'm sure there's there's guys out there that have it worse than me so i'm fairly fortunate
2: <laughs> right yeah i mean that's the one thing man it's like we always want to hunt more it doesn't matter how many days we get and that's just I have to remember it's like you know there's plenty of folks out there I, i'll complain about it because i'm like no oh, i only got however many days in this year and then Someone like Greg will slap me, our mutual friend Greg Litzinger will slap me be like, dude, you spent two weeks in Iowa this year. I don't want to hear it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so you know, yeah. so it's a little bit of a reality check. But uh but that's the one thing I definitely wanted to talk to you about today, man, because that's the one thing I admire from you from afar. I've been watching you, you know, for for a while. And uh you know, it was just a handful of years ago, maybe five years ago or so, is like when I really kind of got into doing more of the travel hunting and stuff like that, doing you know out of state hunts every year and, and and so forth. And I've just kind of grown to love it. And I was always just intrigued by your ability to, because you take the because your trips are usually like shorter increments of time, you know your your approach, you have to be really efficient in how you're doing things. And I've always just kind of watched that from afar and just thought that that was really interesting and thought. You know, even if you have a longer period of time, the things that you're doing, uh, you know, really applying, you know, truth be told, it's like if you can tag out in three days and hit another state on your way home, if you have extra days, then that's always mm-hmm. that's always a bonus. But, you know, given that I was following you this year, man, you had a killer year this year. You ended up getting a, a muley, I think. Right. And, and two bucks. Was that it or was it three bucks?
1: Um, actually, I shot a, uh, a velvet buck in Kentucky early season, uh, second day of the season. Uh, killed a nice heavy, uh, 10 pointer in Ohio on October 10th. Then late October, I killed that big muley in Nebraska, um, came home and two days later killed, uh, one of my target bucks here in Michigan. And then, uh, in late December, I killed, a a really big, uh, old buck in, uh, in Maryland on public land. So, okay. Man. Yeah. It was a, it was a good year. Yeah. I was
2: going to say, have you ever had a year like that or was that like, uh, does that top the list?
1: <laughs> no, actually I've had, uh, I've had, uh, many years like that. I mean, this, this was a good year. Um, I killed my biggest muley, um, you know, and uh, it probably one of my more memorable years, just some of those hunts were just the Ohio buck, uh, you know, shot him from the ground. Um, nice, you know, real close. So just a lot of real neat kind of like, I don't know, just real exciting type hunts. Um, so in that aspect, yeah, one of my best, but I've, uh, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have several, uh, seasons where, you know, I've, I've killed four or five, uh, bucks a year. My, my best year was seven.
2: Whoa. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's that's a pretty good year, man. That's some people's decade.
1: (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, um, you know, it's, uh, little bit of luck um i've you know i've been at it quite a while so probably a little bit of skill mixed in there and right. um you know just gotta if you if you go hunt more places obviously you're gonna have more opportunities like obviously the year where i killed you know four or five six bucks. like I'm, I'm hunting a lot of states so right you know i i tend to get more tags and go more places than the average guy you know right. most guys take one out-of-state trip a year maybe two but right you know i'm i often have you know four or five six different states that i try to hit in a year
2: right so how do you how do you prioritize what time of year you're going to go go where because i'm i'm kind of running into that right now because i have a couple trips i'm planning to take next year a couple states i'm planning to hunt next year but i'm trying to like strategically figure out which states i want to hunt in what time of the year you know how do you kind of go yeah. about doing that
0: Yeah. So
1: basically what I, what I try to do is obviously with, um, you know, working in a school, I'm kind of limited. Um, what I used to do all my out of state trips would, was I basically take a rut trip. That's how it all started. I'd take a rut trip to Illinois or Iowa or Ohio, something like that. And I was having success. And then I just, I just wanted to kind of extend my season. So then I started looking in states that had a September season. Um, that obviously, you know, some one that point, uh, pops out is Kentucky. So I started hunting Kentucky. Um, and I really liked that state early on. Um, I've had really good luck there, uh, you know, going after velvet bucks and and glass and bean fields early season. And, And if you're going down there when there's a drought and hunting waters, I mean, just it's, I go to like the best part of Kentucky and I've just had really good luck. And right. so then I just started, um, just try in different states, um, at different times. I got bit by the out West bug. So now I'm like, I'm into like Western whitetails and Western muleys and did the elk thing last year. And Mm -hmm. so uh, again, basically what I try to do is I just try to get a hunt in September, maybe even two Mm -hmm. if, if I, if I tag out, but it definitely won And then, um, it seems like usually in October, like the beginning of October, I'm hunting Michigan and Ohio. I live really close to the Ohio border, so it's really easy for me to just jump the border and hunt Ohio. Got it. Um, it's a, it's not the good part of Ohio, but it's at least it's another tag and, uh, you know, I can hunt. It's basically, I consider that my home ground. It's so close.
0: Right.
2: Right. Um,
1: so yeah, I remember you, I,
2: I heard you talk about you actually went and glassed before work one morning, and it just added yeah. like an extra forty minutes to your to your drive or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, um, just right across the the border there, I can get into some deer, and um, usually, um, you know, beginning of October, uh, mid October, late October, right in there. That's that's usually when I'm focusing on um, Michigan and Ohio,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um then you know once november hits then then i'll take like a some sort of trip during the rut you know often it's like in iowa mm-hmm. illinois um something like that maybe oh maybe southern ohio something something a little different than the flat part of ohio where i'm near right and then um and then i just started uh taking another trip um more like late november and now even into you know late season like late december Mm -hmm. and it's like i just keep trying to add more trips throughout the year so now i'm looking at states that have like a season that goes into january just just to get more get get more options um you know to to get out there i really like uh the challenge of tackling new ground and new habitat and new terrain. I really, I really, really enjoy that. So, um, I've, I try to make it a point to hunt a lot of different types of ground and, uh, uh, different types of terrain. And now I'm starting to see like the different challenges in hunting those different types of terrain, like during different times of the season. Right. So, um, you know, I've really, just really enjoyed learning that and kind of, um, tackling that challenge.
2: Right. I mean, I think that's my favorite part of, cause even when I hunt my home state Pennsylvania, it's like I typically don't hunt the same public year over year. I'm usually on a new piece or a couple of mm. new pieces every year. Um, just because I, I want to see what's around the next bend, what's over the next ridge or whatever the case is, you know, maybe I have like mm-hmm. a little bit of, a little bit of FOMO, the, the old fear of missing out <laughs> type of thing, Yeah, where, yeah. you know, which, can be good and can, can be bad. You know, this year, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned you got the Western bug. It's like, I do like to go elk hunt. Um, I was supposed to elk hunt this year, but that trip just recently got canned. So I'm actually thinking of switching my whitetail, one of my whitetail trips to, um, the Dakotas is what I was thinking because I've never hunted whitetails out West. Yeah. Um, and so what, what's your experience out west been Like, how has it, how has it been different? How have you had to change things up? How have you had to think about things differently, you know, hunting out there versus the Midwest?
1: um as far as whitetail or do you want me to throw muleys in there as well
2: uh let's start with whitetail and then go go to muleys if you want okay um well um
1: i i and maybe you feel this way too i know pennsylvania um from what i hear can be a you know a challenging state to hunt yeah for sure um and where i'm at in michigan um it's the most challenge, it's the most challenging place I've hunted. I'm not saying it's the most challenging out there. Mm-hmm. It's just the most challenging place I've hunted and I've hunted, I don't know, like 15 States. Right. Um, so when I go, uh, you know, out of state, um, it just feels easier because I, f- I think, um, by hunting in Michigan, it was just a really good like training ground to yeah. be, um, uh, I guess to be, uh, maybe a, a better than the average hunter i guess mm-hmm. i don't know if you yeah. can get it done here i feel like you can probably get it done in most places right um but when i went out west um obviously um you're into much more open ground and uh from what i could tell um really good numbers of deer they're very visual um moving um very well in the mornings and evenings even like um you know, in October or even early in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously a, a tactic out there is, uh, much more glassing, um, and being patient and spot and stalk type hunting, right. which I just really, really like. Um, in fact, I think, uh, all my hunts out West have been from the ground. I don't, I think I've yet to get up in a tree. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I, I really like, um, just just different than what i'm used to so that's why i really um, enjoy going out there it's just a new challenge and i love being on the ground and being mobile i hunt Mm -hmm. a lot from the ground even here right um but out there it's like now you can you know maneuver and and glass and, and make you know strategic moves and and try to you know intercept deer that are moving or if you see one that you know, goes into this, this river bottom thicket or something. And then, you know, he's kind of bedded there and then you can move in and get in tight, you know, as, as close as you can and, and try to set up that way. So right. I really enjoy the, how visual everything is instead of, you know, like typical Midwest where it's more of like a, an ambush type right hunt where you, uh, you know, often you're reading sign or um, going off like maybe a, a, a trail cam picture or something like that. But out right. there, you're, you're actually viewing the animal, do something, and then trying to, um, like I said, intercept or, or get in close to where you see that deer bed down.
2: Right. Yeah, that's the one thing for me this year. That's kind of every year I try to pick something that I want to get better at. Um, last year was moving to more of like a, a back tension style release, you know, shooting my bow. I just wanted to mm-hmm. add that in because I was feeling like at times I was I was punching you know, punching my trigger or whatever. And I wanted to move away from that. And so I worked with Greg to kind of make the switch. And then this year for me, it's more, um, I had a, I had jumped a legit Boone and Crockett deer in a draw on a CRP field in Iowa this year. And I hunted him once from the ground because there was no trees to get into. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: I only ended up hunting him that one time because I just wasn't confident in hunting him from the ground for the next, however many days and trying to track him down. And so I abandoned it, you know, ended up killing a deer, you know, during that trip, but you know, that trip made me really kind of think like, you know what, I want to be able to hunt no matter the scenario and be confident in being able to hunt whatever the terrain kind of dictates. I need to, however I need to hunt, you know? So absolutely, this this year for me is about, you know, becoming more proficient and learning how to be a better ground hunter. So I can add that to my bag of tricks. Um, the other thing is too, as I, you can probably relate to this coming from Michigan, you know, in Pennsylvania, tons of pressure, just like Michigan, especially on public. I mean, even private around here is, you know, pressured more than a lot of Midwestern states, I would imagine. And, you know, I think what I'm finding to a degree is I'm getting into some of these pockets where there aren't any trees to really get into. And, you know, because of that, I'm finding a ton of deer sign in those areas because those deers just kind of go to those spots. They know they're not going to get bothered. There's no way for anyone to really hunt them if they want to hunt elevated. And so they kind of hole up in those places. And I'm finding most of my sign or the best sign I'm finding on public is in those areas. And I thought even for Pennsylvania, which is maybe more of a traditional, you know, getting in a tree type of state ground hunting might be a better way to go in terms of being able to get on the more mature deer that, that are on those pieces of public. You I know, mean, I don't know if you've had a similar kind of uh, experience in Michigan or not.
1: Yeah, for sure. I definitely, uh, I'm definitely running into, um, a lot of good deer in areas that have very few or, or no trees where, where I'm at in Southern Michigan. Um, it's a lot of farming ground.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, I mean, there, there's some definitely, don't get me wrong. There's swamps and, uh, and marshes and stuff. And there there's big deer in those, um, right. you know, away from the, away from what the traditional, you know, woods is along the edges and whatnot. But, um, even in the farm ground, what I see is I'm finding big deer, um, out in the middle, um, in cornfields and stuff that a lot of people aren't even thinking about or, or going after. So, um, I'm hunting a lot of like really skinny hedgerows, uh, just little drainage ditches that you can't even see that that run through the middle of a cornfield. Um, uh, you know, things like that. I'm finding, um, deer that are just out there living and getting away from the pressure in fact that buck that i killed in um in ohio this year I, I killed him from the ground um now he was he was going um he was going in and out of this little tiny uh basically that little hedgerow right. um was what he was living in but then he was spending moving out of that and he was going right into uh, crop fields. And I mean, there was, he wasn't near any tree. So you're either sneaking into that little tiny hedgerow, which is extremely hard, right. or you have to try to get him from the ground out in these crop fields. And he's just disappearing into the corn and running these ditches. And, um, you know, you just get little glimpses of him If you're in the right spot, it's not like you can glass them from the road. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I do find that, um, especially, uh, in areas that are higher in pressure. Um, and even just in like that Northern Ohio, um, area, it's just so open. That's, that's major farming community there. So like they literally get rid of most of their hedgerows and they reduce their woods to like nothing like little tiny two to 10 acre woodlots that are usually big, mature, open woods. And
0: right. there's
1: just, it looks like you look around, um, there's no CRP ground, nothing like that. Everything hmm. is planted in uh, to some sort of row crop, and uh, you're like, man, where, where are these deer <laughs> living? But they, they're out there, it, right. and it's pancake flat. There's not a, a an elevation change anywhere. It's like the most odd place. It would be like Kansas if, I'm just if just gonna had, say that. yeah, if it had CRP ground, you'd be like, man, this is like Kansas, but it doesn't. It's just all beans and corn and beans and corn and then this little tiny woods and then you might go a mile and a half before you see another woods in the Hmm. the next you know the next woods down is five acres and um the deer are running these these crop fields like completely hidden like edges and um
0: you know sometimes
1: like corn and like beans can make like this temporary edge and Away from the road, away from trees, and I'm getting on to big deer, like hunting from the ground, like slipping through the corn, or right on the edge, or even those like uh, those little drainage ditches that might have a few, you know, a few trees yeah. every so often. Right. Um, they got water in them, like kind of snaking through the landscape. Um, deer are working those too. So, I'm yeah. I'm getting on uh, some really good deer in those types of areas
2: right i was just gonna say it's like I, I would imagine if you could find a ditch i mean and you just said I was like, if you could find a ditch that would probably be a place to to to, to look at just because it can also kind of stay out of being sky lit at all if they, can get, if they can get down in that ditch and it's just again as you said it just creates a an edge for them to follow how are you kind of figuring out where that there's deer in there or what particular place and, you know I'm, I'm sure you're doing some glassing, but are you also kind of getting in into the corn or into the crop fields and kind of looking for tracks along those, you know, along those edges and stuff like that to confirm that they're actually using it and that there's a deer sizable enough that you want to chase.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, this time of year, um, you know, when everything's cut and stuff, I'll, I'll walk all those edges and um, you know, you find, you find buck sign, you find deer sign, you see where they're traveling um, along those ditches. And then you could really tell like, man, these deer are really hidden. Um, You got to be, they might have uh, a little spot where they might be visible from maybe a random house or something, but like, you got to be at the right place at the right time. And they're, but they're, you know, for the most part really hidden, um, just working these hedgerows and stuff. And usually when the crop comes down, like when the corn comes down, the beans are gone, they're pretty much gone. They don't stay. They, they, there's just not enough habitat anymore. So what they do is they kind of migrate to, uh, maybe a a really nice piece of property of private land or something that someone does own a large chunk of quality habitat. Or there's like these, uh, basically like, uh, like, I guess you'd call them like Metro parks or something like, you know, five, 10 miles away. Like they'll, they'll literally go all that way to, to get into quality, quality habitat. But yeah, I do a lot of, um, scouting this time of year. But then I also do like in-season scouting, and I'll run cameras sometimes with, if I can, like on those ditches or on the edges, um, or even in those little woodlots sometimes. Um, and when I get a picture or a sighting or a track of something that piques my interest, that's when I'll start working the area with glass or even just mm-hmm. kind of, I guess I'd call them like a half observation, half potential kill type setup right um you know like since i've been hunting there long enough i i start to figure out how these deer use the landscape and how they move through it while staying hidden so i a lot of times now i have a really good estimation of where i might lay eyes on them or maybe even have an encounter with them
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but um like that buck last year uh I had a picture of him on this little, there, there was a, a little piece of property that had some decent cover on it. Kind of like young, um, young trees. And, uh, I wouldn't call it uh, like set aside type habitat, like set aside field type habitat, like, um, good ground cover. Right. And I had a picture of him there at a scrape in early October Um, but it was at night, but I, at least I got a a direction of travel and that's what led me to start glassing the surrounding area. So I set up and I was, I was set up to, to glass, um, that hedgerow. Um, I, I walked the edge of that property and I found tracks kind of cutting through this, uh, low spot in this bean, Mm -hmm. bean field. And that, so I just set up and, um, just off that so I could glass, and that's where that's where he popped out of was that that little skinny hedgerow. Nice. So then once I saw that, I mean it's it's pretty much straightforward. Um, the hunt didn't transpire straightforward, but you know he's on a, you know it's October tenth. He's doing kind of the, doing what he does, the same thing. He feels completely calm, like and he has no idea that he's being watched uh, under surveillance.
2: You know? <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. So it was a, a pretty straightforward setup and I mean it almost didn't work out but it but it ended up working out but uh yeah that's kind of how that's kind of how I I do it um it's nice. a really interesting area it's a challenging area um and what I like about it is like there's nobody I don't know anybody in that area that's doing what I'm doing right like it, everybody else is if there's a tree or they're in those little woodlots, you go into most of those woodlots, there's tree stands and ladder stands and yep. ground blinds and you know, everything else. But, uh, yeah. You know, as far as I know, the very few, very few of those deer are getting killed. The big ones, uh, with a bow. Now, most of them get killed during gun because of it yeah. is so open. It's very easy to do deer drives and, they do their deer drives. Trust me. Right. It's, yeah. like, it's crazy.
2: <laughs> I can, I can, uh, I, I, I totally understand that coming from PA, man. That's uh, it's, oh, it's yeah. pretty common thing here. It's a, uh, it's interesting, man, because I mean, you know, what you're kind of talking about a little bit is, you know, zigging when others zag, right. It's like, especially yeah. when you're in high pressured areas, it's like, you got to figure out where other people aren't to a degree. I always say that it's like, when I go out to scout, it's like, I'm scouting people as much as I'm scouting deer. You know, I'm trying to figure out where people are at. And the one thing I'll bounce this hypothesis off of you and see what you think of it, because I've not I've started kind of playing around with this to see if it if it holds true. But, you know, what I kind of look for a lot of times when I go to public land, especially here in PA and even whenever I'm in, you know, southern Ohio or whatever, it's like I'm, I'm looking for clear cuts that, that are the right age to, that are going to be good cover, good food for deer. And that's where I'll start. Usually my scout in an area that I'm not, you know, familiar with. And so some of these pieces in PA that are new to me this year, you know, there's so much ground in PA that just, it's just hammered by hunters or stands everywhere that aren't taken down. And so it's just what I started doing, like when I got to these clear cuts, even if they weren't typically, if it's not of the age where it's going to be good for browse, where the browse starts to get up off the ground far enough to where it becomes not as desirable from a food standpoint. Like to me, I, I still even kind of prioritize looking at it because what I've started to find, if I can find, especially if it's on the side of a hill or on the side of a mountain somewhere. And I find an area where there's water ingress, right? Where it's like, there's, there's like a, it's not a stream. It's just like, <clears throat> you know, it'd be a, 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 like a runoff of the mountain or whatever mm-hmm. that kind of runs through, <clears throat> excuse me, that runs through that clear cut. I'll actually bushwhack my way through there using that water ingress as like my path. Because what I've found is usually inside that clear cut somewhere, it's going to open up into what I've started calling like mountaintop swamps. Where it's somewhere where the water's gonna hold, it's gonna like be wet enough to where trees aren't gonna be able to grow, and it ends up turning into like swamp grass, you know. Mm. But it stays dry most of the time. And every place I've gone to this year that I've looked at that, I've found like the best buck sign that I've found on that entire piece. Like there's one piece I just scouted recently that was like 3,400 acres, and I found three good setups, and they were all inside of the clear cuts. Now getting wow. into them to hunt them becomes a little bit more challenging right you're gonna have to do a little bit of you know manicuring to try to get a place in that where you can get in quietly but you know but i've found that like the past couple scouts i've started kind of putting those pieces together greg and i went out and scouted a piece and found two of them that were just hammered with rubs just like destroyed like every tree was rubbed in both directions you know and um and so i've started finding that where it's like okay maybe this is something like that's I can use consistently that deer are finding these like as their hidey holes especially bucks and mm-hmm. this is where all the deer are kind of running once the pressure hits and I can use these little water ingress areas as like keys to know like okay this is where I need to go and I need to check the center of this out. What do you yeah. what do you think of that idea?
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. That's uh I I like it sounds awesome and I like the uh, what I like is your thought process of you know it sounds like you are are trying to do something that probably nobody else is doing right. Nobody right. else is getting in there. They're probably hunting the edges.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: so yeah. Um, I think, you know, anytime you can think outside the box like that and get into where other hunters can't, um, and that's hard to do at a lot of places. That sounds like a really good opportunity for that. Mm-hmm. Um, just like where the, the example I was talking about, it's not hard to do what I'm doing. Nobody's just thinking to do it. Nobody mm-hmm. thinks there's deer out there. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, there's not a lot of places like where I hunt more in, in Southern Michigan. There's not a lot of places that are difficult, uh, for hunters to get to. There's just, uh, you know, everything's pretty straightforward and easy. There's nothing yeah. like a clear cut or there's nothing like a, a giant cornfield with, um, a ditch, a little Creek running through it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I, I really like that, that thought process, um, yeah, it sounds just, like pretty sweet.
2: Yeah, it just dawned on me the other day when I was out last weekend because it's like the second time that I've gone to an area and was scouting around these clear cuts. And, you know, I just find like a little spot where I could wiggle in where there was water and be like, let me just follow this water. And, you know, this past weekend, I ended up finding a buck bed, you know, with three hammer rubs like in the bed, you know, and it was wet mm-hmm. that day, but it had rained all day the day before. So I was like, you know what? This is probably dry like 80% of the time you know Mm -hmm. so i was like he's you know if a deer is gonna bed here you know it's you know it would probably be pretty solid you know most of the time that he would want to bed there now it's just figuring out when are they using it i gotta hang some cameras and figure that out there was also a big primary scrape that was right out or a big community scrape that was maybe 50 yards from that as well so i was like okay i was like let's mark this this seems like a place i'm gonna want to come back to and check out but i would never even i mean for me the biggest thing that changed is like wanting to be able to hunt from the ground because there is not a single tree in there that you could climb you know mm-hmm. but also being mobile enough and, and i know you're a saddle guy you know and you know being able to use a saddle wearing it in that way if i do end up on my way in come across that primary scrape and it's just got tore up like you know the evening before or whatever it's like well then i might want to sit up next to that and so it's it's being able to be multiple like that in on a yeah. hunt and being able to kind of change on a moment's notice and you know, the saddle has really done that, you know, and then to add the ground game to it, the saddle doesn't hinder you from adding the ground game.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, I've really, I've always had that kind of mentality that I want to be, um, ready for any situation. And I want to be, I want to be able to, um, recognize the strategy or the tactic that, uh, is required with whatever, um, with whatever is presented in front of me. And, you know, depending on the terrain or the conditions or, you know, ground setup or, you know, big woods, you know, you got to get high. I want to be prepared and have what I need with me, um, to do that and to be able to recognize that quickly. And that's, that's probably where a lot of my success comes from. I, I feel, um, really confident that, you know, no matter where I go, I'm able to kind of figure things out really quickly. And I don't mm-hmm. really know how I, the only thing I can pinpoint is that it's just a lot of experience. I've been just right. doing this for so long. Right. Um, but, um, uh, what I really like, uh, about the saddle, um, that you touched on is that it's just, it's just so versatile. I could hunt from the ground with it. I can get 30 feet up, uh, up with it. I could, if I see a, a buck bedded in a CRP field, I could go stalk that deer with that on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, I don't have to worry about stashing a stand or anything like that or carrying extra weight, something that's going to be noisy. It's just all right there. Yeah. And um, one thing, I, I mean, I've mentioned this on a few podcasts now, but I just, I'll reiterate it because I think it's huge. Um, you can, the fact that you can set up with the tree between you and where you expect the deer to come is such a huge advantage in, in two cases, um, that really stick out to me. And ironically, uh, both of them, both of these instances, uh, happened to me this year and they both resulted in kills. (laughs) Um, I can hunt really, really low now, um, at just above ground level to let's say 10 feet low. Like where if you were in a tree stand, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But now I can set up on the backside of a good-sized tree at 2 feet up, 10 feet up, and I can put that trunk of the tree behind where I'm expecting the deer to come from, and I can be completely hidden. And that's how I killed my Michigan buck. I was 10 feet up, and I shot him at 5 yards. Wow. In Michigan uh, too,
2: that's crazy because I mean, what people will say all the time is like, Hey, Michigan, Pennsylvania, you got to be 25 (laughs) or 30 feet or they'll pick you off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was a, it was a, it was in a spot where there was one tree and it was a big, giant tree. And I literally just set up on the backside of the trunk and he came through coming around this, uh, coming off this, uh, this point and came up onto this, it it was like a, it it was an Island, but where I shot him, it was like the only tree, the only tree that was, would be, everything else was kind of like skinny, like sapling type stuff. Right. And, um, I was able to stay completely hidden. I even came to full draw, like with, he was within 10 yards of me and I came to full draw on the backside of the tree and then just slowly peeked around in the saddle and put an arrow in him. And then the other case where I think it's very valuable is in more of like a big wood setting where you have a lot of like what uh, i guess what you'd call like climber type trees like bean pole trees right right um you know historically in though if i was hunting those areas i'd take a climber or a stand and sticks i need like six sticks to get up you know where i needed to get out of eyesight or a climber you're climbing up you know 30 feet well, now I can get in those beanpole trees and do the same thing. I can just stay on the back side of the tree. And when I killed my Maryland buck, it was just that. It was a, it was like hill country mm-hmm. and, um, big mature, uh, these, these, I think they're called tulip poplars. And when there's not a lot of sunlight, tulip poplars can, um, can get a lot of like bushiness. They can actually have a lot of cover, but when there's not a lot of sunlight, they grow up like big, like, t- like, uh, telephone poles mm-hmm. and that's all that was in there. And I climbed up and I was, I was probably 20, I don't know, 24, 25, I'm just guessing. But so I was still up, but the way these deer were coming down off the ridge, like I needed to really, if I was in a climber, I would have to be higher. Right. And, um, I was able to just set up on that backside in a completely bare tree. And like I had deer coming by me. No, none of them knew I was there. Right. I mean, it was, it was completely awesome. So there's two cases where I think the saddle really shines and I'm not saying it's the best Tool for every situation because I don't believe it is right, but um I do believe it's the most versatile, so that just kind of fits my style of hunting.
2: Right now I'm the same way. It's funny because I I had been interested in kind of checking saddle hunting out for a while, and it was I've been using a saddle now for just two years, you know, two full seasons, and I had you know our mutual buddy Greg Greg Godfrey on we were we were talking whenever they were getting ready to launch the Manus and he's like, you got to try, you know, you got to try saddle hunting. So, you know, I did, you know, the first season, you know, not last year, but the year before. And I think it was my second hunt and I ended up arrowing a doe on the second hunt out of it. And I did exactly what you said, which was I kind of hid behind the tree. I actually drew behind the tree and then slipped out as soon as she hit the shooting lane and slipped an arrow in her. And that was it. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, I was like, all right, I'm sold. I was like the fact that I can kind of hide from the deer. And then there was one where I didn't even kill a deer. It was, I was set up on uh the edge of this uh this food source it, back in the timber there was some uh there was some oak trees that were dropping acorns so i was kind of set up in a staging area and i set up in an area where i was like you know the deer shouldn't be coming from this direction well wouldn't you know like the, where i had set up and gave myself a blind spot where i had open openness like i didn't have any cover was exactly mm-hmm. where the deer were coming and I, mm-hmm. this tree wasn't, uh, there were, it was, there was a ton of branches and I didn't, uh, I didn't really want to have to do a lot of trimming. This was on my dad's property actually. Mm-hmm. And so I only got up in and I, I was actually running out of time to get into the tree. Cause I kind of got to that spot late. And so I had climbed up in and I was maybe 12 feet off the ground and that was it, you know, and this deer pops out, this doe pops out. And I'm like, man, if she sees me, they're like, my hunt's done, you know what I mean? Like completely over. And so I was like, "Well, let me swing to the backside of this tree and just see if I can stay hidden." And so I basically rotated it around the tree with her as she came around the tree and just continued to keep the tree yeah. between she and I until she finally moved off far enough away, and she never had a clue that I was there. And deer kept filtering through for the rest of the evening.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's so awesome. I it was love like,
2: that. yeah, it was those two instances where I was just like, you know, sold. And then in the big one this year was really whenever I was in Ohio and I was just, you know, didn't know the area really well, so I was hiking and pounding the pavement or pounding the ground every day, scouting and hunting, scouting and hunting just, you know, every day. And I wouldn't have wanted to do that with a 20 pound tree stand on my back. You know what I mean? And so it was just the ability to be able to kind of, I only carry two sticks and a five step aider and that's in like a bullman step. And so I can, with my platform, I can get maybe, you know, 18 foot with that roughly, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and for me, that's enough, you know, it's like, cause that's all I'm really willing to carry you know yeah um which is the beauty of it it doesn't take a lot to to get the, to get the job done because you can use the the tree to your advantage to as your cover so you don't need to get as high
1: that's right yep and there's a you know there's some there's some instances where i think a traditional tree stand might be better like if you're in a if you find a tree that's in that spot that you need to get in and there's like a lot of limbs coming out mm-hmm. um you know, sometimes it might be better to be tucked up next to that trunk, like in a traditional type hang on or something, you know what I mean? So that you can draw your bow as, as opposed to like kind of hanging out yep. with the saddle. Um, you know, there's, I, I come across those now and then, uh, not, not very often. Usually I can make the saddle work in almost any situation, but there's, there's a few times where, you know, at least for me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the, uh, you know, I think a, like a lone wolf or like a mini, uh, like one of the smaller type mobile stands would be a better fit for me personally um but i mean this year i didn't you i didn't hunt out of a a tree stand at all right so it's it's pretty rare
2: yeah yeah i'm kind of in the same in the same boat i'm sure there's a use case somewhere the past two years i haven't run a haven't run across it in the past two years you know but it's not saying that they that they uh that there's not opportunities out there and my big thing is too is like Hunt whatever you're comfortable in, because comfort and and confidence is going to be what kills you, dear. Versus being in something that that you're hunting in because you think it's going to give you an opportunity if you're not confident in it. Yeah. So for sure, that's kind of you know where I. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening, and if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you've not yet hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel as well. And before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, and Day 6 Specialized Gear. And until next time, we'll see y'all.